Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. All right, Tim. We're back. We're back with another one. It's like no, it's like we never left. Nothing has changed, right? No, not th- well, there's a few things that have changed, but <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into those. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, there's there's Arsenal things to talk about. It actually feels like it's picking up. I I, I think uh, you noticed it on our our episode outline. It it was suddenly much more full. Yeah, we we're, we're definitely not clutching at straws to figure out what to talk about. We definitely have some <laughs> some things to talk about, and we're getting more questions again. So yeah, I think I, it's picking up. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned in our call for questions this week that we're we're really ten days away from the start of the se- the season. Gosh, just seems like the season just ended. And Doesn't we it? Are ramping up again. Yeah, it's crazy, but. Wait, wait, I'm I'm ready for it. I, you know, there's been there's been some good like the I I caught a little bit of the Gold Cup game this week, the Gold Cup final, and I I'm ready. I'm ready to to do this again and and to be hurt again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what soccer is: is ninety percent hurt and ten percent ecstasy. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's the thing about this summer. That's or just like the last two years. I feel like is soccer's just never ended. It's just been game after game after game, and then like with the Euros, and then the uh, the Gold Cup, the Nations League, the what is it, uh, the Olympics. Like everything's just been soccer all the time. Yeah, if if you're a fan of this sport, you you really you you have to be prepared to be active year round. I mean, you don't have to love every team out there, but I mean, if you really do, you can have something almost every every couple days yeah, or every day it's it's i used to say that thursdays used to look like a, a good day for uh, not soccer if it's not europa league but even now they're putting games on thursdays for random teams and things and i'm like ah, there's no free game or free day nope you just gotta skip once in a while that's a you just have to set it aside for real life <laughs> what is that real life you speak of i don't know i don't know <laughs> Uh, drinks. We've got drinks in hand. What do you have in your hand this week? I have an oldie but goodie. I meant to pick up a new one because I try and pick up a new one every uh, episode. But unfortunately, I've done this one before and it's uh, Thor's Equinox by Odin Brewing. It's a a Belgian. I really like it. Odin Brewing is one of my favorite. They're out of uh, Tequila. Uh, It's a Belgian Dirks Ale and it, it clocks in at 9% which I feel like we're we're kind of switching our uh, beer percentages recently. You've been going lighter and I've been going for the uh heavy hitters. I've only really been going light compared to you. I mean, you just you've just gone so heavy it, it makes mine seem light. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of my favorite beers. I know I've talked about it before. You can probably find it in most grocery stores, so check it out. How about you? What do you got? Uh this week I continue my um Hop Valley uh exploration. I've got another one from them, and I just love this uh, this name. It is Stash Bandicoot, <laughs> uh, and it's uh, of course another. Uh, this one is another hazy, but this is a hazy imperial, so uh, it clocks in at eight percent. But it's supposed to have some of the same uh, fr- fruit notes. In fact, it, it says it, you can discover a juicy jungle. 
with notes of apricots, wow. red berries in this hazy Imperial IPA. How is it? Uh, let me let me tell you one second here. Definitely fruity. <laughs> um, I think I think I'm really hitting my max on fruit beers lately. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm not I'm not trying to seek them out as much. Not like I ever did, but I feel like the hazies, a lot of them have gotten really just fruit heavy. And I think that comes with the territory in the summer. But I really, I think I just got to avoid hazies. They've just gotten a little out of control. Yeah, I've kind of stopped doing the hazy thing. I'll pick up a hazy every once in a while, kind of on accident. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they're definitely a beer trend that has i'm kind of tired like i'm i'm all i'm getting tired of the ipa trend and that's like a trend from like 10 years ago and now just like the hazy ipa that's you go, you go to a brewery and you'll see like three to four like hazies and very little else on tap so it's just yeah i'm i'm ready for something new i miss i i i know that there are lots of bold ipas out there but i've been striking out on finding them lately so I need to I need to find something that really scratches that super uh, strong uh, hoppy IPA niche that I'm looking for. Yeah, it might be a uh, time to go back to some uh, some old favorites until some of these new breweries calm down their uh, their hazy. Yeah, <laughs> obsession. calm down. That's what they need to do. Just calm the hell down. Yeah. I mean, it's not like there's no bad style of beer in my opinion. It's just, uh, sometimes it gets overplayed and you want to try and be diverse in your, your, your beer selections as a brewery. Yeah. I'm just really not a, I don't know if this is like a response to all the, um, uh, the ciders and the hard, uh, seltzers and all these other fruit flavored things but i just don't understand why a lot of these breweries have leaned so hard into the fruit flavors it just seems like you can have a hazy i had a hazy the other day and i almost didn't try it because um i told the person that was offering it to me i was like you know i'm just burnt out on hazies i don't want to and she she was like no 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 this one's different and I, I almost didn't believe it. I was like, no, you can't, they don't make hazies that aren't fruity anymore. <laughs> and it turned out it was a, it was actually really good. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was a, it was a Fort George, um, collaboration, but I can't remember who it was a collaboration with, but it was actually a, a good hazy compared to some of these really fruity ones. It actually tasted like beer, which is nice. Crazy. I know. Well, I mean, I love I'm have to uh, find that one. I love pretty much anything that Fort George puts out. They're one of my favorite breweries. So you, you were in a good path anyway. So yes, I, I'm going to have to, to seek that one out and see if I can find more of it. All right. Well, that takes us through our drinks of the week. What do you got for a Tim's bit? Well, the Olympics are going on and I don't know if you're anything like me, but I've been binging the Olympics and more specifically the weird or not weird, but different sports that you don't get to see every day, like field hockey or or just archery. I, I got really into archery when they were going on. Um, so my question for you is, what sport and who would you have Arsenal players play in the Olympics, if that makes sense? I don't know if that made sense. sentence made more sense in my head than when I just said it out loud. 
What Arsenal players should should be playing Olympic sports? And what sports would they be and outside of sports? Hmm. Okay. Um. Let's see. What? What? I'm, I'm trying to think of what the good sports are. I mean, like outside of like track and field stuff. I mean, that would be obvious choice for some of our speedier players. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the more obscure ones. Well, like I think Jaka, for example, would be a great water polo player. Hmm. Yeah. Cause he has that, like, that, that fight. He like, you know, I, I read someone on my uh, Facebook was saying that, uh, uh, water polo is the sport of a, to play the game. You have to try and murder the other player and, you get fouled for trying to murder the other player. And I feel like that, that fits Jaka's MO pretty well. Yeah. Speaking of murdering people, how about, how about Kalasinak as a, as a boxer? Oh, I could hundred percent see that. <laughs> um, totally see that. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to think of like skill sets and body types and all of the different aspects of what goes into being good at these sports. I, <laughs> I'd love to see one of our players get into dressage. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, the sport where you're uh, making the horses dance. Yes, essentially. Who would you, who do you think would be good at? The, do you think maybe Arteta could could be our dressage uh, person? Olympia. Yeah. What do you call it? Uh, is it a, a dressage jockey? <laughs> <laughs> a dressage? I don't know. Dressage. <laughs> um, gosh, I I I. I, I don't really understand what it takes to make a horse dance. Is it about the training or is it about the control? I think it's a little column A and a little column B. And would, I'm would just these having, ho- would these horses just be dancing if you t- turned them loose? I don't know. If you played the music, I think they're smart enough to take the music cues. And I'm having this great image of Arteta in that little helmet, you know, like that the helmet that they wear when they're horse riding and those weird suits with the tails and those, like, uh, I don't know, what are they called? Knickerbockers? <laughs> I, that could be. I, I could see a very smart-looking outfit for for Arteta. I could I could definitely see that hat. But I don't know. Would you want to cover up that that beautiful hair? Yeah, that's true. But I feel like he if he if he can make some of these Arsenal players play better, he can make a horse dance. Sure. Yeah. Um. I. I'm trying to think if there's like a, a, I feel like there's an obvious sport I'm missing here. There's gotta be, uh, I don't see anybody doing skateboarding or surfing, any of these new, <laughs> newer sports. Um, I don't know. I could see Obama Yang surfing and I don't know why. <laughs> I feel like Obama Yang would be a good Olympic athlete. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that perfect sport is for him. Badminton? Like I could see him just being a sprinter. I think I feel like he's got he's got the well, he had the speed at one point. <laughs> he could have could have maybe held his own in a in a hundred meter sprint. <laughs> what uh, about uh, Leno playing volleyball? Yeah, I could see him going up for a spike. How about him and Rob Holding as a as a beach volleyball pairing? I would watch that so much. <laughs> uh how how about uh the, this is almost too obvious how about a bombing as a as a gymnast 
with his flips. He could do Ooh. a nice floor routine. Oh, totally. Oh, I could see him in one of those like nice leotards and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I could, I could see, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think if there's anybody who could pull off doing the rings. I feel like you got to have a good, I mean, maybe, maybe that's a, you, you got to have good upper body strength and maybe that's another Kalasinac, Kalasinac, uh, What about sport. Lacazette? He's always like struck me as someone who has big upper body strength and I, I can just see him doing that, that cross position that all the people on the rings do. I can just see him doing it for some reason. Yeah. I could I could see him being a scrappy wrestler or or martial artist. Oh, to a judo? Yeah. Yeah, judo. That might be a good one for him. Yeah, that we've talked about some good ones here. I I, I wanna I, I'm trying to think of anything good for the for the kids. The Smith Row, the the Sakas. <laughs> they're just they're just so good at soccer, it's hard to see them. Yeah, it's hard to think of something other. else. Yeah. Well, I think I think that covers our bases. We, yeah, we've got some we got some good athletes out there, but it's hard. It's hard. You you get so focused on one sport, it's hard to be a multi sport athlete. Yeah, but I always feel like some of these athletes could do pretty much any sport they wanted to if they put the same effort into it that they did soccer or whatever. You know. Yeah. We were we were watching some gymnastics earlier tonight and and I was saying, you know, you know how you know this is hard because these people spend their whole lives doing this one thing and they still mess up. <laughs> like nobody it's really hard to do perfect routines and and not screw it up. So yeah. that's how it's it's extremely difficult if you if you can put all your time and focus and 4 years of training, 5 years in this case and still have a very difficult time being perfect at it. Yeah. And I could say that about all the sports, not just gymnastics, but I mean, it's like the pre the, I think as most, a- most athletes would attest to a lot of it is just overcoming the mental side and, and rising to that huge occasion because it is such a, um, a big deal when it's come only comes every four years. Yeah, and it's interesting with like the whole the whole thing about pressure. Like, I, 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 it is something to remind myself that you know I try to remind myself that these players are humans and that uh, you know sometimes they make mistakes and you know they can't always be perfect and they are just playing a game for my pleasure. So I shouldn't get too mad at them. Yeah, I th- I think it came up with um, the Simone Biles. Um, situation that, that's come up in the Olympics and it's, it's, it, it, it is a reminder to everybody else that they are not there for our entertainment necessarily. They're there for them. They're there to do their thing. And we just happen to be watching it. Like it is different from, uh, the usual professional athlete scenario where people are getting paid huge contracts to come out and entertain these, these people might get, uh, a fraction of what those, those, uh, entertainers get, you know, I mean, it's, they, they might get some sponsorships and some other things, but they're really just pouring their heart and soul into these things because they love the sport and they want to succeed at the highest level. And the highest level is not necessarily something that makes them big money. So they're, they're doing it for the love of the game, not necessarily for the entertainment value. 
What, you're saying there's not millions and millions of dollars in archery? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe in the uh, the um, the archery sponsorships, maybe there's big bucks in those uh, <laughs> those quivers, and you know, the big big hunters out there are, are looking at the Olympics to try to decide what they're going to buy. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, I don't think they're going to use the same bows and, and things to go hunting. Probably as not. You, you, they want force over, uh, pinpoint accuracy. Yeah. <laughs> I know nothing about hunting with a bow. That's for sure. So I am not one to <laughs> speak to that. Well, I mean, you are West of North London archery edition. So. Oh. I don't, I, I don't know if that would be a very long episode. <laughs> Well, before this episode goes too long, we should probably start talking about Arsenal. What do you think? Sounds good to me. I, top, top of the, the list of things that happened in the last week is finally, it feels like we've been talking about this for a while, but finally it's official. Ben White has signed a contract with Arsenal. I believe it was for five years coming in at 50 million and, uh, I we we've kind of talked a bit about about him joining the team, but it was a little bit speculative. Now that it's real, how how are you feeling about this signing? Uh, I mean, it's it's always funny as soon as a, a player gets real, it starts that player starts becoming my my player. You know what I mean? And so I get sure. protective and I get excited. And I know I was a little bit skeptical last episode, but I'm I'm excited to have him. I think he. He has potential to be a really good defender. I I still have some of my same reservations. I think it's a lot of money. And I'm not sure if center back was exactly a position where we needed to put all... If we have limited resources, that's where we needed to put all that money into. But I'm... I'm I'm excited to see how it does. I, I can't I, I won't judge it until, you know, we're several games in or probably even a season in at the end of next year to really judge what he's done. But I think it's it's a positive thing. It, it, it's nice to know that there's still players that want to come to Arsenal. So yeah, I'm excited. How about you? Yeah, I think now that I'm wrapping my head around the reality of it, it's uh, it feels like a good, a, a pretty good signing on paper. Um, I think there's some things that make me nervous until we see how it works, uh, particularly the center back pairing i'd like to see how he fits with uh gabriel once he is back from injury um because that's that's a young that's a young center back pair i don't know how that compares to other premier league teams but having two guys i think that are both 23 it feels very raw and i think that uh i was nervous about gabriel coming in and he proved himself to be st- a steady performer. Um, and I, I think I made more... Uh, I, I have a little bit of peace of mind in the fact that we have Marie and Holding um, to back those two up. It just to, to have that stability and that leadership back there available as rotational options in case this Ben White thing doesn't, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to hit the ground running. I think he's 
he's got he's got Premier League experience, so it's not quite a huge leap. He's not coming from an outside league. He's he's he knows what he's getting into. So I, I think it's, he's gonna be fine. I think it'll take maybe a few games to get his feet under him at, at, at in the Arsenal side, but um, at least we have solid backups in case that doesn't quite work out right away. But I, I, th- I think overall I'm feeling positive about it. And I like the outlook as far as, you know, he's, he's still going to be only 28 by the time this contract is up uh, with a lot of, you know, that's, he's, he's going to have um, some resale value there in a, in a three year time span. I think he'll improve his value. And, and so by the time he's, 26 that's a that's a great age to really decide whether we have something great that we want to double down on or we have a really great sellable asset so i i really like the idea of having um a much younger profile across the board for that reason it's it's just nice to not feel like we're signing a player that will not pan out and and if they don't pan out we can't get anything back for them not that Arsenal's been a uh, state in the world light with their sales, anyways, but uh, that's 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 a can we can kick down the road. <laughs> sure, yeah, that's a that's a whole other story. Uh, but I, I I feel positive about it, and I think we should be excited about this signing. It fills a, fills a need. I think there was a gap there left by Louise, and so I'm I'm. From what I've seen of him, I'm hopeful he can do some of the things that Louise did, maybe slightly differently. But I, I like what he does as far as bringing bringing the ball forward. And it seems like between him and Lakonga, there's a couple ball carriers that can that can take some of the pressure off of Jaka and some of these other guys that are supposed to be further up the field, but tend to track back to. to pick up the ball and carry it forwards for the team. Um, we definitely needed more link play to get the ball to, to really take advantage of uh, playing out from the back. So I'm, I'm confident that Ben White will do that and uh, just add a different dimension that we didn't have last year. Yeah. And if he can be as reported and have that passing range without having that, that uh, Luis had without having the uh, the prone to mistakes that Luis had. I think that's an upgrade and is a positive sign. So, and I mean, I wonder about his wages and his compared to Luis and wonder if we're getting a little bit while we're paying over the top for his transfer fee, whether the wages will be a little bit lower. And so we'll actually make up for that in some ways. Oh, I definitely think so. I mean, somebody that's of Luis's profile came in, comes in and, and demands a certain level. I mean, he's, it's kind of like, you don't. He, he wasn't taking a pay cut coming over from Chelsea. Um, so he's definitely well above what Ben White's probably starting at, which is great. Yeah, a, I mean, that's what, that we should, what we should be doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything. I, I, I don't know if we have too much to say on him yet. I think that's a, let's wait and see. How he, how he performs. We saw, we, I didn't personally see the Chelsea game, um, but uh, I saw a couple of clips of him and he looked all right. Nothing, nothing to get super excited about yet, but 
because he's just getting his his feet wet. But I think uh, next couple next couple games by the time by the time we get to our first uh, our, our our opening game with Brentford, I think we'll have a, a pretty good idea. Um, yeah, I, I think he'll be ready to start, of course. But I think we'll in that game we'll we'll really get to see a little bit more about what he's about. Yeah, definitely. And I know we've we, we've talked about him quite a bit because he for a while he was one of the only stories of round Arsenal for the last summer. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, now it's just a wait and see what we got for that money. Yes. Um, so one of the other developments in this last week, uh, it's kind of been a I, I think it is something that has come to mixed reviews uh, and I, this, it sounds all but done. I'm not sure if this has been officially announced. I don't think it has, but, um, rather than selling Jaka to Roma, it is sounding pretty, pretty much like it's a done deal here. Um, that Jaka will be staying with Arsenal and extending, uh, his contract a bit longer. So I think he's at two years currently. Uh, I think they extended him a, into 2024 with an, an, an added an option for uh, 2025. So he's getting a little bit of a pay bump to stick around. And before I go into what I feel about that, what, what's your what's your initial reaction to that news? I don't hate it at all. I don't. I think I've been more positive than negative about Jaka over this last couple of years. I don't think he is necessarily the solution, but I think he can play a role at Arsenal. And I think the extension actually is a smart move for protecting some sort of value. I, I, I've been saying since forever that this window is going to be hard to sell players. There's just no money around and you're looking at the window and it's a very, very slow window. And, uh, I think a player like Jaka, who didn't necessarily light the world on fire last year, is going to be hard to move anyways. But I think he has a role to play with Arsenal, and it's better than letting him go on a free. So, I mean, without having the numbers right in front of me that I can crunch them, if if the pay bump wasn't too horrendous, I think it's a smart move for everybody. Yeah, I... I had reservations when I first heard about it because it was like a four-year extension sounded crazy. Uh, a three-year with an option, not quite so crazy. Um, I don't know about his future value and if we'll ever really move him on for for anything bigger than what he was going for to Roma. Um, that said, I think he's a key part to the Arsenal team. And I don't know if he would have been easily replaced. And I think that's a lot of the math that Arteta and Adu uh, had to, had to figure out is that, you know, if you sell him looking out in the marketplace, who can you get to that will replace what he does or improve on what he does. And on top of that, how do you fill the, leadership void because we've talked about it quite a bit um, on this podcast that despite our t- uh, Aubameyang having the captain's armband, uh, 
I think the de facto captain in the locker room has been Shaka, even though he, he hasn't, um, you know, once he, he, once he was stripped of the captaincy after his incident, uh, two seasons ago, um, he has not been the, the captain, but I think the younger players, all the players really look to him as a leader. And we've seen, glimpses of what he brings in that role. And I think that is just uh, way more valuable than the 13 or so million that we were going to get from Roma for him. Uh, and I think to to replace that, to go out in the market now and try to replace what he does um, as a whole it would cost 30 to 40 million at a minimum. So I think if you're looking at trying to find a number 10, trying to find a number nine, trying to get another goalkeeper, just re-signing Xhaka with a little pay bump makes a lot more sense. And you can still go out and, and I mean, maybe it gives Lakonga a, a season to, to get up to speed next to party or, you know, it, um, you know, the marketplace might look different next year as far as selling Xhaka or finding a replacement. And so I think if, if it, if the opportunity wasn't there this time around, then this is smart money because you know what you have in Xhaka and every, you know, from the moment he came to this team, every coach has, has started him and it's been a, a key role to the team under every, every manager so that tells you something about his locker room presence and his stability when he's playing. Like he's he's not lighting things up necessarily game to game, but he's steady, and that is, I think, uh, an undervalued asset when it comes to players. Like you want, I would rather have a player that's a consistent six or seven over somebody who's going bouncing between a nine and a five, you know, like I'd, I'd, I'd rather have that uh, middle of the road consistency than the low lows and high highs. So I, I think despite all the people saying that we could upgrade on Xhaka, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to upgrade across the board, yeah. especially in this market. Well, I mean, yeah, we could upgrade on Xhaka. We could say that for a good chunk of our players, but it's, it's about making the resources count where they are. And you mentioned it and it was something I was going to say to you is that I think it's important to have, like we got Lukonga in, but to have someone who can slot in if Lukonga is having some inconsistent form or even just kind of show Lukonga the rope, the, the ropes of playing that position in some ways, you know, I think that can't be overstated and that we lost uh, Louise and for all the bad things that you could say about Louise, he was apparently from everything I've read, a very important figure in the locker room. And if we lost both Xhaka and Louise this year, there'd be a huge void in the locker room. And we've seen it. I don't, I don't, I don't think Obama Yang fills that role. And so you, you need a player like that just to, to, to keep the team healthy mentally. Yeah. And just to r- rally the troops, I think you absolutely have to have a player that knows how to, dig in and get get the team rallied to his side. Like I think that's important. And I, I appreciate that 
from a, a central midfielder as well, because they really can um, be a leader from front to back. Like he is maybe not a huge, uh, a huge player on the offensive side of things, but he's, he gets up, he does thing does things on both sides of the ball. I mean, he, he did score the lone goal in the uh, Chelsea game. So, you know, he does, he does do that once in a while. Um, but I think uh, the other, the other piece to this that I, I keep um, trying to remind myself of is uh, AFCON is happening this year. So the African cup of nations happens in January, I believe. And that's going to have a huge impact on this team. Uh, it won't, aff- I mean, it, there's, I think there's luckily enough depth that it's not going to totally devastate us, but I mean, it's going to, it's going to take party out. It's going to take a uh, Pepe, El Neni, um, just looting, just losing party and El Neni is a huge blow to our central midfield. So having Xhaka and Lukonga available there is at least a little bit of a piece, a, a peace of mind, uh, come January and, you know, parties, uh, are already facing injury from the <laughs> Chelsea game. So he's going to be out a couple games. So, you know, it's, I'm glad that, that they are taking care of this position. It is something that needed to be addressed. If, if Jaka was the best available, then it's, it, it's easy, easy to make that call. I think with everything kind of laid out the the positives outweigh the negatives in my mind and and yes Xhaka is not the best in the world but he works with what Arteta is trying to do he has the um belief of the coach and it sounds like he Arteta had a role in convincing Xhaka to stay so I think there's um confidence from the player and the coach in each other. So that, that, that I think is a, a good combination. I think we've, uh, we've got a good player for what we're trying to do for now. And when the timing's right and, and there's better things out there, I think Arsenal will move on, but it doesn't have to be this minute. And I think kicking that can down to next year or beyond, um, I, I, I think it takes some of the pressure off this window a little bit because it just was, there's just so much to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the thing is I, I think we all have to be realistic and I, I know we're going to have a little bit longer discussion about transfers and uh, incoming and outgoing and all that, but just we have to be realistic about the pieces that we can change right now and what we can and stop gaps that we can do going on. And I think, you know, Jaka is a good stop gap and I, I think we shell him short by calling him a stop gap even. I think there are the positives. I think he can at his best play a really great game. He got player of the match one game in the year. It was like there, there are definite upsides to Jaka. And so, yeah, it just, I mean, it makes sense to me when I saw this go through, I was like, yep, I buy it. I mean, I wasn't, I, I'm on record saying I didn't think he was going to go anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. I think also we have to remember that even the best teams in the world have these, worker players you know that the guys that fill a role aren't and are not superstars necessarily on their own but at, when you're looking at the the parts of the team or when you're looking at it holistically 
the the team is better when Xhaka is on the field. He's they're better when he's playing central midfield. We saw that when he was uh, shifted out to the left back position when um, Tierney was unavailable, and it messed up the team. And and I I don't know. I think there was a lot of people saying we shouldn't be so reliant on him, but if it's if it makes the team tick and you're able to improve in other areas, then I think you you you, you shouldn't take that for granted. I think you have <laughs> take that for granted. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> um, I, I I think you have to appreciate what he brings brings to the team and how he makes people around him better, even if he's not a superstar on his own. Exactly. Uh, so I, I alluded to it a little bit. Uh, we had the Chelsea Chelsea preseason match uh, this last weekend, and I, I did not get a chance to watch this one. Uh, did see a couple highlights. Like I said, uh, the, the lone goal from Arsenal came from a, a Xhaka header, of all things. Uh, and maybe the other low light to come out of it was uh, a party injury to start the season off. So it's sounding like a some sort of high ankle sprain that will keep him out at least a couple games. I, I think that's the rumored prognosis at this point. I don't know that we've heard officially from Arteta or anybody on the training staff what that um, looks like at the moment. Uh, but I would I would guess that he's going to miss at least the the opening game and possibly the next Chelsea match as well. Yeah, and you know, I did not watch the game either. I'm not going to pay that amount of money for a preseason game. It, <laughs> right? It's just, I like I love Arsenal. No one can argue the fact that I, that I don't love Arsenal. It's just uh, I have better things to spend my money on than uh, paying paying to watch a training match. Uh, I think there's a lot of people worried because they don't feel like uh, there's much change from last season to these preseason games, and. Uh, to, to be honest, there hasn't been a lot of change in the playing staff, so I don't imagine there's going to be a, a huge shift in what we can see, especially because training matches are at 80% anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice that uh, that the players are getting some playing time. I think the party ankle entry is unfortunate, and it, it's kind of worrying to me the amount of injuries that party is picking up in our short time that we've had him. And that that that's something that I, I've taken out of it is a little bit of anxiety in that in that respect. But uh, yeah, it's good to have Jacques on the scoreboard. It's never nice to lose to Chelsea, but I mean, in five months we won't even remember this game. Yeah, I believe it was, uh, Joe Willick had a uh, almost goal in this game. It was called off, but apparently, you know, the replays that I saw after the after the match made it look like the the ball kissed the underside of the bar and bounced across the line mm-hmm. and it was not uh called in our favor um which i i, I think that's uh, that's all i really have to say about that game like i can't feel too bad about it it's like another one i think similar to the uh rangers game where there's a couple questionable things and people shouldn't get too up in arms about it uh it's there's no VAR. It doesn't matter. So 
the fact that the scoreline says two to one doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, but it does lead me to our next topic here, which is VAR is coming back, of course. But the Referees Association has uh, changed some guidelines to the re- to the on-field refs and the VAR teams uh, going into the next season. The, uh, the two areas of emphasis that they're looking at to change with VAR are the ones that are probably most complained about, um, both from players and fans. Uh, the uh, penalty calls and the offside calls. So obviously with the penalty calls, the the thing that drives a lot of people nuts is when you're looking at these falls and, and these moments of contact, the way it was last year, there was a lot of soft penalties called because when you're slowing things down and just looking to see if there is contact, then that, that seems to lead towards a lot of... Um, pretty questionable calls because when you're looking at these things at uh normal speed you're like man that guy barely touched him and and they're still getting a penalty out of it and so now it's sounding like um the question the questions that the referees are going to be asked to bring into the the conversation i guess when they're trying to figure this stuff out is does the contact have consequence and then has the player use that contact to actually try and win a foul. Um, so hopefully there's a little bit more context. But to me, I'm still concerned that these referees are idiots when it comes to figuring that sort of nuance out. Um, before we get to the, uh, the offside piece of this, Tim, what do you, what do you think of that, that uh, those those penalty parameters. Do you think that'll that'll fix anything in your mind? I mean, when I first read them, I, I was relieved in a lot of ways because I, I mean, I don't know how many minutes I've wasted people's times complaining about that Louise penalty. Where right, I I just can't. I I don't understand it. Um, and so I and I get it because you know you are slowing it down, and then you know as you a great word you used was context, like adding context to these these. Uh, these fouls, the thing is, is it's just, I don't know if it helps because it just makes things way more subjective. Right. That's my concern too. It's that, you know, the, you know, does that contact have a consequence? What does that mean? <laughs> I mm-hmm. literally don't know what that means. I, I mean, I know what it means in a, in a, in a Supreme court ruling where like we all, <laughs> we know all know what it, what it looks like. Right. But like, there's no actual black and white, thing that says like that contact has has a, has a consequence i think it's going to give a lot more leeway to the referees i it can be a good or a bad thing i i to be honest i don't think it's gonna change my anger towards certain penalties being called and others not being called uh yeah so i mean i i i appreciate that they're trying to to tweak the laws with the new technology in mind. And I think the old system was obviously not working. It was like, what was it? It was 115 penalties called last uh, season, somewhere around there, 100 in teens. And it was like a record number of penalties called by far. 
So I can see why they're trying to take a look at it. I just, I wonder if giving more leeway is going to be the correct way to go about it. Yeah, I, I still don't, I, I understand, I somewhat understand the way that they have it set up as far as not wanting to interfere, not having the VAR teams interfere too much with what the referee already did. Um, in in the sense of like the clear and obvious error uh, mandate, because you don't want to take the power out of the, the center ref's hands too much. But I do think that that led to a lot of the soft penalties being called in, in the sense that they're, um, if, if a ref is just looking for contact and, and then the, the VAR is confirming there's contact and then that's it, that's a penalty that, you know, there's, it's just, it's a little too wide open. Um, I just wish the, the the VAR teams had a little bit more leeway to overturn bad calls because even if it's not clear and obvious, I think there's some things you could look at and be like, well, well, I don't know, clear and obvious. I, I think the clear and obvious uh, frame framing is just a little too open as well. Like it's it's just not not lending itself to actual corrections in the game if if that makes sense it totally makes sense and i think i think the epl has to really really look at other leagues cuz it isn't as big of a disaster in other leagues than it is in the epl uh var in general i know the bundesliga has a much better implementation of it it isn't perfect there's mistakes that happen we're still dealing with humans and squishy rule interpretation. But I think one of the big things is that in Bundesliga and other leagues around the world, the VAR officials are able to force the center official at least start looking at the the call and will override them. Whereas I think the EPL has too many officials that are too sensational, too uh too egotistical to, to to even entertain the idea that they could have a bad call. Yeah, I, I do think the ego part plays into it, um, and and the kind of the back backing fellow referees. Like you don't want to chip away at the facade of the, the all knowing referee, so you don't want to call too many errors against the the center ref because that would call into question some of their other co- their <laughs> other calls during the game. So I, I kind of get that to a degree, but it also eats away at the integrity of the game when you're continuing to back bad calls. So I, I don't know if there's a real way to correct that outside of completely taking it out of the, um, the referee's hands and just having uh, an objective uh, panel or, you know, a VAR team elsewhere outside of the game that can look and say, oh yeah, that's a penalty outside of the context of what's happening. We can say this is, you know, nine times out of 10, this is a penalty or not a penalty, you know, like kind of bring some objectivity to it by uh, bringing in people that are not directly involved in that particular match. But that's probably a bridge too far because I do think they're trying to maintain some authority 
for, for the uh, the center of referee. Uh, the other the other piece to this, of course, is the offsides, the offside calls. Um, last season, we saw quite a bit of. I, I don't know what you would call it. Ge- geometric uh, guesses. <laughs> it, the lines and, and other uh, shapes that they were adding to the field <laughs> to try to mathematically deduce whether a, a player was offside was tedious. And it just felt like they were trying their hardest, especially when it came to Arsenal. It felt like they were trying their hardest to overturn any goal and it was many times fractions of an inch we're talking about pixels on a screen that were offside and so when we're talking about clear and obvious errors you're talking about things that could not be seen by the naked eye um at least with the offside situation it is somewhat more objective uh you're either on or off, but the thing that they're trying to bring back a little bit more is the idea that a tie or something that's very, very close is now going to go back towards the goal score. Um, so less overturned goals and hopefully less tedious, uh, calculations trying to overturn these things. Uh, it sounds like they're going to use a little bit more um, cross-referencing with the uh, the um, lines that they're going to use. They're going to use a couple different metrics, but uh, hopefully it, the, the the tie will go to the attacker. So it's going to be a little less of a uh, harsh penalty that, that it was last season. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for making the... Uh the benefit of the doubt going to the attacking player because uh, I mean, I know it's going to come to bite us and the, uh, the ass at some point, but uh, (laughs) the, at least there's something just so wrong and against the idea of soccer in general, just to take away that glory of scoring a goal. And I don't know that I, I, there, there now is this like pause that I have after every goal we score of like, was it VAR? Is it going to get taken back? Uh, and the, the the geometry and the the mental mathematics that they're going through is just insane. And it, it's it, it's a, it seems like a lot of work for something that was predominantly correct going into it. Anyways, I've I've seen multiple articles talking about the fact that you know offsides wasn't really a problem that was wrong all, a major vast majority of the time. So I don't know, which it, it is kind of amazing considering what, a um, assistant ref has to do. And, and the fact that they were getting it right most of the time is, is, is a miracle in itself well, I mean, to, to go ahead. Well, the, there, there is one side where we always concentrate on those lines that we draw right between the, uh, the player and the uh, the defender and the the striker or the defender and the offensive player, but you have to remember there's this whole other side of offsides that no one ever really looks at, which is when is a ball actually kicked? If we're we're, we're deciding mm-hmm. these by millimeters, right? Literally just very small increments. We never go back to the the idea of when was the ball actually kicked and where is that falling in? There's no geometry or line shown there. 
you know, and right. it makes a huge difference. Cause yeah, talking- a frame, a frame in either direction can make it make or break it. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's there is a point where, I mean, maybe when we're playing robot soccer in 2000 years, uh, we'll have the ability to be able to precisely measure these things. But I mean, there, there is a scientific point where it, it doesn't even matter. So I don't know, like I, the more precise we get, the less interested I get in it. I think there is a little bit of, we got it mostly right anyways. Let's just move on. And, but I do like the, uh, the uh, benefit of the doubt going to the attacker. So, Going back to something you mentioned is that that pause after a goal is scored. I uh, I tend to dislike that when it's my team that scores, but I have that moment of hope when it's a goal against us. You know, if if that uh, there's that chance that it might be overturned, I kind of like that anticipation as they review things and and, and hope that it might go our way. Um, so I think that being a, um, it's kind of a double-edged thing, you know, like you're, it does take away a little bit of the elation when it comes to scoring a goal, but it can add a little bit more on the other side if his goal is scored against you. I don't know if I agree with that. If, if someone's coming to punch me, I'd rather them like just go and slug me as opposed to like <laughs> hold it over my head and then punch me. And that's, you know, a majority of the cases, the goals, like you hold that hope and it's still just hits you you know they still count that goal yeah i mean but if it is overturned it is kind of a nice oh. feeling i was at the uh, sounders game on the weekend and uh, when that second goal even though it didn't matter when it was overturned it, it did feel good mainly uh-huh mainly because the san jose player was taunting us but <laughs> yes yes uh but yeah i hate i guess i if they can make it more instantaneous on either end i these I just think if they can reduce the time uh, that they're spent trying to calculate this stuff, I think that will add a little bit more excitement back into the game because it doesn't have to be like that. If they chose to make it that way, you can just say, okay, it's close enough. We're calling it this. Or, you know, you're, there's still decision-making there. And even when they're um, reviewing these things, they're still getting stuff wrong. So it, I would rather it be quick and painless and we just move on and try to get some more excitement back into the goal scoring process then and and maybe get things a little bit wrong once in a while yeah because that's how it always was you just want to you just want to try to eliminate the truly egregious offsides that got missed you know if it's anywhere close let's just call it quickly and move on so that everybody can enjoy the the celebration and we can get back to the game like it's supposed to be exactly you you hit the nail on the head i think the idea behind this was a good idea which is to get rid of the really really bad calls and i've remember seeing some really horrible calls on offsides but it, it but not every call was like that as i say it's the stat I read was like 98% of all when they went back and looked over the last like seven years or something, 98% of all offside calls were correct anyways. So it's, yeah. Well, here's hoping that as we go into this next season, that it, they, we, there's a, a an actual feeling like things improved 
and uh, they continue to try try to tweak this thing as we go because I think it is still a work in progress and not just in this league but everywhere but we saw in the euros things were a lot smoother so there is hope that the premier league can can get their act figured out here and and continue to refine the process that they have and everybody involved can feel better about it i think that this these changes take into account the way the players and the fans feel and hopefully simplify things for the referees so it's not uh such a tedious process on anybody's part. I'll drink to that. All right. I think we should take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got a couple questions from you guys. And uh, we've got, we'll talk a little bit about some of the continuing transfer rumors that are out there and uh, try to make sense of it all. So stick with us and we'll be right back. We've got a couple questions from you guys, so we'll get right into it. Uh, from Tim Whittem, I'm disappointed overall with the transfer market for Arsenal this summer. Any news on a goalkeeper and future strikers? So I thought this was a good good question for us to lead into our uh, rumors discussion here. Um, I know it's not Tim's favorite thing, but we <laughs> we've... Uh, we don't have a ton that's got, I mean, there's definitely some things that are persistent, but uh, not necessarily anything that seems imminent. So uh, I'm, I'm curious at this point what's actually going to get done in the last uh, few weeks of the transfer window here. But um, right now, from what I'm reading and, and seeing online, um, it's, it's still sounding like... Uh, Madison is still desired from Leicester, uh, potentially with a, a player going the other direction to to bring the price down a bit. I still don't love the price tag of like, well, I haven't even heard a price tag. I, I just, everybody seems to be assuming that it's going to take quite a bit based on the fact that he's English and on a team that isn't necessarily looking to get rid of him. So, uh, Potentially, it's a, a player plus money, and so you're looking at a, pl- a, a player plus another fifty million, which seems like a ton of money for. I don't know. Some I think like if if there's other players out there that can do the same thing, it that just seems like too steep a price in my mind. Well, and uh, I think a lot of times these uh, rumors always talk about the player plus money. And it happens occasionally, but it, it doesn't actually happen all that often. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of these rumors going around right now because the market is so tight. But I still don't think I. Uh, I'll see see when I believe it as far as player plus money. I know that this one has legs. I know that they're supposedly he would be happy to move to Arsenal. Uh, I've read it from fairly reputable sources, but uh, I think it that the Madison. It, in particular is going to be uh, really if the Cronkies want to open their, their wallet and dust off some, uh, some uh, pound notes from their, uh, their wallet, it will happen. But short of that, I don't really see it happening. How, how do you feel about the aspect of this deal? Um, 
that we would be potentially strengthening a team that is uh, a, a direct rival as far as where we're at in the table these days, uh, you know, giving them 60 million or 50 million in a player or, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being. Do you, do you feel like that's, that's a, a bad idea, even if we get a good player out of it? No, I mean, you're, you're going to have to get the players from somewhere. And if you're not buying exclusively from outside of uh, England, you're probably going to be strengthening a team. And, you know, right now it's not like we're at the top of the table looking down. We have quite a few teams that are ahead of us anyways. Mm-hmm. So that that side of it is, I mean, it's just a price of doing business. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, what it comes down to is whether or not Arsenal thinks they're going to get more value for the player than the money that they spent. And, you know, uh, I don't know the, the, the price and it's hard to say, um, for Madison, but it, it, I don't know. (laughs) It's, it's hard to, hard to think that it's going to, that, that money is going to make, uh, Lester suddenly jump ahead of us, you know? Yeah. I kind of think like, I don't know if I was thinking about it with like, giving money to Chelsea or giving money to Leicester. I feel like that amount of money wouldn't change Chelsea's tactics at all, but would be a boost to Leicester. Like, I, I don't know if it's, if that's realistic, but just in my mind, I feel like there's some, some teams where it actually is a huge help. Uh, and, and, and I think le- at least with, um, like comparing those two teams, Chelsea, I'm not sure we're at the same level as, Whereas Leicester, we would be probably competing pretty directly for that fourth, fifth, sixth zone in the table this year. I mean, I get it, but like I, people act as if Leicester is this like poor, like mom and pop team. They actually have a ton of money behind them, mm-hmm. and you know the the money we spent on uh, White uh, Ben White is probably more impactful to to Brighton than the money that we would be putting into to Leicester. And to be honest, mm-hmm. so then you have to look at it as if are we, we put that money into Leicester, they're going to have to replace uh, Madison, whether it's from internal or they're going to have to purchase it. And that's, you know, again, taking out of that money. It's just whether, the, you know, let's say it's 70 million or whatever, whether that 70 million can buy a replacement for that player or make that team better is on Leicester finding the right things. And I don't know, I don't know if Leicester is necessarily uh, more prepared than Arsenal is to, to spend the money better. Right. Yeah. I mean, the market being what it is, it's not easy to go out and find ready-made replacements out, uh, out there, even if you have the money. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it's been in the news a lot because of uh, the the Kane situation. But when uh, Tottenham sold uh, Bale, they had what was it, an absurd amount of money, and none of those players turned out for them. It was basically like throwing that money into the ocean for <laughs> them. So, like, it, it, just because they're getting money doesn't necessarily mean we're strengthening them, and especially the type of money we're talking to Madison, which is you know, it's not free, but it's not crazy money. Yeah, I mean, we know from our experience as Arsenal fans that having money and spending money doesn't mean you're doing the right, the smart thing with that money. There's a lot of bad decisions out there. Exactly. Um, one one rumor that came up this week, and I 
still don't know how much credence I'd put into this, but it's more of a one I want to believe than I actually believe. Um, you know, there's been some talk between Arsenal and, and Inter Milan um, for both for uh, Bellerin possibly going that direction. And this, this rumor is about uh, one of their strikers, uh, Latoro Martinez, uh, Argentinian, 23 years old, uh, who is potentially looking for a way out of Inter Milan. He's uh, ready for that next bump in his pay. And there's thinking that the team is not prepared to, to meet the, his asking price or his uh, wage increase. And so they may be willing to let him go at a good, decent price. Um, he had a, he had a pretty, pretty good Copa America. I don't have his stats in front of me, but he is definitely an up and coming player and has had a couple decent, better than decent seasons playing next to Lukaku at, uh, uh, Inter Milan. So I, I like the idea of this rumor. I like the profile of the player. I, I like the proactiveness of going out and getting a player that is would maybe normally be out of our reach but if we're able to meet his wage demands and and uh you know i I think if the price was right this might be the best best you could do in this market right now um but i think it also would require getting rid of lacazette and maybe in as well to make it work so I don't know the realities of that. Plus there's some, it, it's sounding like Chelsea is still wanting to bring Lukaku back. And so if Inter Milan are desperate for funds, they might just sell whoever they can to make things work. So if, if Lukaku does go, then this would not be on the table. Uh, but he's, he's got Alexis Sanchez vibes. I really like what I've seen of him. And so it would be one for the future. And I think it would really light a fire in our strikers to step up because he looks like he's got tons of energy and that is certainly something we've been lacking in that department. And, and his goal scoring record is, you know, he's, I think he's averaged about 20 goals a season in the last couple of years. So it's uh definitely a step above what we have currently available to us yeah and he's an interesting player uh he i i like him before i get into the uh <laughs> the debbie downer side of my comments i <laughs> i do like him as a player uh you know last year was a really good year for him he's had a an injury the year before i believe it might have been the year before that COVID gets a little squishy in my mind uh he definitely has thrived with partnering with the kaku this rumor to me smacks of this typical transfer rumor thing that you get, which is Inter needs to get rid of player, make money, slap in X English team into this this equation and come out with rumor. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, it would be awesome if it happens. I I'll believe it when I see it. I'm I'm not too hopeful i mean i would love it i like him as a player i think he has a lot of promise i think inner would be stupid actually to get rid of him but that's inner isn't hasn't been known for their intelligent decisions recently so we'll see yeah i i think they were 
more interested in keeping Lukaku around. And, and so they might do what needed to be done to make that happen. Um, and so there's a couple things that made me think there's still uh, a possibility of this. And, uh, first of all, I wouldn't even give this, uh, this rumor much thought other than it seems to have been backed by Ornstein. Um, so there's definitely some interest from Arsenal. Uh, I would say whatever he says is, has some basis in reality. Uh, but you know, the, um, even if it doesn't sound like Lukaku necessarily wants to leave so that that might work in our favor if they need to get some money that, and, and they want to keep Lukaku and Lukaku wants to stay, then these um, rumors from the Chelsea side may mean nothing. But I, I, I do think it comes back to what do Arsenal really have to spend? Uh, because I do think even if it's, uh, um, even if he's available, you're still looking at a $60, $70 million price tag. And if you're talking about Madison in that price range as well, it's it almost seems too good to be true, right? I don't know that they could go for both. But the old adage from uh, the Wenger era was if a player comes available, it doesn't, and, and it comes available at a good price like this, you know, it, it, you, you can't turn it down. And I think that was, um, it's it's not a bad idea to, to stock up in preparation for Lacazette and Aubameyang falling off a cliff here. I, I, I love the idea of having a ready-made 23-year-old striker who's going to come in and, and light things up in the Premier League. That's the other piece, though. Is he is he going to make that transition from Syria to Premier League and and put up those same numbers? So, uh, we've seen South American players come in and be just fine, but it's not a guarantee. So, is that worth that price tag on an unproven player of his age to come into the Premier League and and meet those expectations? I just, I mean, like, it, it's a sign that obviously I'd like to take. I just, I, I, I really have no huge faith that it's anything very serious at all. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I could be proved wrong, but I'm, uh, it really just, <laughs> it smacks of silly season banter to me mm. so much. That it could be the other, the other potentially interesting aspect to it is that they have been talking about bringing Bellerin over. So I could see that being a, a deal where both parties were happy. You know, if they, if they could get Bellerin to replace, uh, Oh gosh, who did they just sell? Uh, is it Hakimi? Oh, Hakimi. Uh, Hakimi. Yeah. So they're, they're definitely in the market for a right back. So bringing in Bellerin, we get, a little little bit of the price knocked off becomes suddenly affordable. Not not a bad deal in my mind if they could make it work. Yeah, and again, I just put the caveat that uh, I'm so sorry for being the Debbie Downer, but it's just like the player swaps <laughs> always sound good, and especially I think as Americans are very used to it. it but it mm-hmm. it's so it it happens, but it doesn't happen often in the European market. So I I think. It's a lot of, I don't know, these pieces all make sense. 
And I think maybe, you know, the ownerships are all looking at these pieces the same way we are, but I, I'm not holding my breath for it. Although I'd love it. I would, I would absolutely love it if it happened. So here's for, uh, yeah. here's hoping I'm wrong on that, that front. I think my only, my only other concern would be the wage, how it would kind of blow up the wage structure. Cause I think he would be taking a, he would be making a bit more money than some of our, well, who are our senior players anymore anyway? If it's like 23 right now. So <laughs> I guess you can't have one 23 year old who's making like 10 times the amount of some of the others. So that's the, uh, the, the other caveat is, is these blockbuster deals have to come with some measure of, uh, uh, restraint when it comes to luring players away, you have to still kind of make sure that you're not um, totally screwing yourself over in the long run or upsetting your locker room with blockbuster deals that nobody else is near as far as uh, wages go. Yeah. And, and and one of the things we do have to keep in mind is the, uh, I was just reading an article about how over the last transfer window, we had to take out a new loan to pay out things. It was a bank of London loan that we paid off with a uh, Barclays loan. So, mm. I, I mean, the, the thing is, is like all of these things I'm saying could be completely blown out of the water. If uh, the Cronkies decide to open their wallet, if they want to, the Cronkies want to be the Abramovich's of Arsenal or the, uh, whatever family owns the uh, city. I forget their name. These things can happen. But as far as, you know, keeping a sustainable club going. I, I find it hard to believe there's money there to spend without selling some players. Right. And last, but certainly not least, as far as rumors go, these Odegaard things seem to come and go every single week. And I want to cling to hope. I want to, I want to believe, but, uh, it's it, the longer it goes, the less, Less hope I have, maybe. I don't know. I, I want. I, I think I want Arsenal to figure out the number 10 role or an additional attacking midfielder, I should say, because they've, they've got a number 10. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want them to find the right piece sooner than later and not push it to the last minute, even if it is for Odegaard. Um, I'm hopeful that something gets done, whether it's Madison or Odegaard or somebody else. But uh, I, I keep my fingers crossed. I, I, I still, I still want to believe that there's something out there. But um, I think that his name is going to be tossed around to the last minute, just, just for clickbait, exactly. more than anything. I think it, that is like the Odegaard to Arsenal is like it is uh, the the penultimate of lazy journalism. That it's a mm-hmm. you know lone player was there players or the fans like them because i do not get me a lot wrong if there was any one signing i could do it would be odegaard i love i like watching him play i think he has a lot of potential i think he fits in really well with the team i just think it's it's out of the price range completely and totally and i think it might even be hard to sign him for a long-term deal because he might have even better options depending on the price uh, but it's just, it's, it, it's easy journalism. It's easy clickbait. People are going to want, want that rumor as you know, we've talked about it every single episode, uh, since, uh, <laughs> since he came to our team, I think, uh, it's something people want really bad. I just, I, I again, I just, I, I have a hard time seeing that one. 
Yeah, it's it's too good to be true. If anything does pick up on it, um, I think it's going to have to progress quite a bit more before I start really believing. But I I will hold out hope until someone else gets signed. Really, until we get that attacking midfield uh, position filled, I'm going to believe that there's a chance. Yeah, even I, if it's small. I mean, of of these three, I think Madison is the one that like at least seems a little bit more the most reasonable for me and like from the reporting i've seen is the most uh believable mm-hmm. at least there seems to be interest from his side i i can't say as much about the martinez thing yeah. other than if they threw enough money at his way he'd probably come yeah exactly and i mean all these incoming really depends a little bit on the next section which is outgoing yes so just a couple things it's there's one on here i i or there's one I did not put on here, and that's uh, that uh, um, Kolasinac was perhaps looking to have his contract canceled so that he could make a transfer to Turkey, uh, which I'm okay with. Yeah. You know, if that's what we have to do to cut cut him loose and get another wage off the books, let's let's do it because we're not having too much success otherwise getting rid of guys. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think there's worse options than canceling contracts right now. As I keep on beating this drum of this, this window is going to be slim pickings, and it's going to. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the transfer deadline day I think is actually going to go a little crazy, but I think yeah. I think there's going to be. It's not going to be as active as before, and you know, as you said, just to cancel that contract and get it off the books, I would, I would be a okay with, to be honest. Hmm. Uh. The other rumors to come out this le- in, in the last few days, uh, sounding like uh, Crystal Palace is looking at Reese Nelson as a potential loan option, which I really like the idea of getting him, get him over with Vieira, get him some playing time with some um, decent players over there, and uh, it seemed it, it would make sense for all parties. I think they would they would use him quite frequently, and he absolutely needs that game time. The only thing I would think that Arsenal would want to do is make sure to extend him before sending him out on loan. Um, so if he's open to that, uh, I think that would be a, a good deal. And I'm not not too surprised to hear Crystal Palace is looking towards Arsenal uh, for loans because I think Vieira is going to try to work that that connection as much as he can. Yeah, I mean, like again, I think that's a a great idea. I think getting Nelson Reese Nelson time is good and it's good for all parties concerned and Reese Nelson strikes me as a player is that the more he plays the better he's going to get and I mean I know that sounds a little obvious because I think all players are like that to a certain extent but I I think a couple years or a year at Palace even and just getting consistent playing time will make him a better player for Arsenal so yeah I'm on 100% on board with that yeah. Uh, the other player that's been linked to alone away uh, is Joe Willick, um, who's been, you know, uh, hotly pursued by, by Newcastle, who still would like to have him come back for a, a full season if possible. Uh, some rumors are saying that they're, they may be actually willing to pay for him to pry him away from Arsenal. I would be shocked if that was the case, but 
money talks. So maybe that's what they have to do to get Arsenal to make a decision because it's seeming like they're getting a little impatient and may look elsewhere uh, if if we can't give them what they need. But if they want it that bad, I think you know the twenty two million that uh, has been uh, the rumored price tag for him would would be a, a good little prize in a window that has not seen too many uh, outgoing sales yet. So I I, I might take twenty two million for Willick if that was all that was on the table right now. Oh, I would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, I think one of the issues is Newcastle isn't in a spending mood and. Uh, Ashley, all he wants to do is get rid of the club. And so I don't mm-hmm. think he's going to want to invest more for something he's looking to get rid of. Yeah. And I can't even see him like signing on to a loan with an obligation because they're so up in the air what their future looks like. Can they really uh, be obligated in the future to make that purchase? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think it would be a smart move for Newcastle. I think it, it's exactly a player that they would need. I think it would work out well for them. I just think uh, Ashley is so short-sighted right now that he's not going to put that money into the club. Let me ask you this then. Do you do you see a place for Willick in our team, the way it's set up right now, even if he does score goals? Not really. I I find it hard for him to get consistent playing time. And I think it's a shame outside of some pretty major injuries. It's, it would be hard to, to see him really slotting in. And especially that we're not having European games where there's so much fewer games that we have to get playing time for these players. I think he would be just rotting on the bench or in the, uh, the Academy or, reserves no academy reserves so yeah i think it's it would be best for all parties involved to to move on i just wonder if they can yeah i can definitely see a role for him in the right formation if they did if they did shift to a 4-3-3 i could i could see him you know like if it was a midfield triangle i could see him playing more forward and um those the runs that he makes are just so. Uh, it is what I like ra- about Ramsey, and I think that he's even uh, better at it in some ways. But I don't know if we have enough time to give him, so I, I would hate to squander him and not sell him. Like I just, we've done it too many times where we said, "Oh, there's all this potential in this player. We should hold on to him," and then it doesn't get used and all that value has gone out the window. So I think we've, we've got to, we've got to take advantage if there's anybody willing to give us money for him. But, uh, I don't know. It, it, I guess it's, do we let him go on a loan and, and try to kick that can and, and, or, or we, do we push hard to try to sell him? And if not keep him, I, I don't know where the, I don't know where Arteta stands on him. It's really hard to gauge where he he fits in with his team at the moment. So um, I'm sure he would love to have some clarity on his future before making a commitment either way. But if there's any hope to have him be a, a, a feature player in, in a future team, um, I, he has the talent to make an impact on this team, just maybe not right at this moment. Yeah, and I think 
I think any cans we can kick down the road, I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. This market, I don't think we're going to get the maximum value that we would three years ago have gotten for players or two years down the line. I think if, if we can, again, getting back to that Jaka, I think that that's why it's such a, a, a good re-signing in some ways is that if we can kick, kick some of these cans down the road, we'll get better value than if we tried to get offload at uh, fire sale prices right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got to think a lot of these other leagues uh, will bounce back and, and we'll start spending in, in maybe as early as January. You know, you never know. But it's um, potentially if we can get some of these players to stick around for six months and then loan them out later in the season, that's a possibility too. But I just don't want to see another Ainsley Maitland-Niles situation where we had suitors who are willing to pay for him and we decided to loan him out for nothing halfway through the season. It just, that's bad management. And I think that they're, they've wisened up to their uh, loan operations a little bit better um, compared to what they were doing. So hopefully there's some strategic planning going on with some of these uh, more impactful players in trying to get good loans for them and if not extract as much value as we can. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for the uh, transfer rumors at the moment. Unfortunately to Tim's question, I haven't heard a whole lot on the goalkeeping front this week. So I'm sure that there are still things moving with that. I feel like that's a position that they have to address in some way. Um, but it, it may be something where there's not a huge, uh, or, you know, an obvious upgrade to Leno available, I mean, uh, it, whether that's for now or down the road. So maybe it's something they're going to have to sign a, a Matty Ryan sort of player to fill in as a backup and then try to address this in another window. I, as far as the the whole thing goes, like the goalkeeper situation isn't the one that I'm the least worried about. I think Leno is solid. I think I'm, I'm fine with Leno for another year. Our backup situation is a little bit worrying, but I mean, I'm knocking on wood right now, barring any unforeseen events. It, I don't think, uh, especially because we're not playing in Europe, uh, our backup situation is is the most important priority to go for right now you know i just think they have to have somebody i it doesn't necessarily have to be the heir apparent to leno but i right now i'm not super confident in the well i'm not even sure what's going on with runnerson i think he had a a loan option that fell through so they're still looking to try to loan him out somewhere um and then uh is a little too too inexperienced. So I think there's got to be an, a backup out there with a little bit more experience, whether that's somebody for the future or just a short-term I mean, it'll be a short uh, stopgap. I think that's something that's going to be around deadline day, and it'll be very underwhelming, and it'll be fine. Like I... I, I <laughs> it, it's so far away from my, my worries right now. Yeah, that I just uh, it'll work itself out. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, I think I I would feel better if they don't go big on 
an English keeper for the future. I would just rather address that later and put our money towards one of the other positions because I, I just feel like that's it's just it, it, it doesn't seem like there's an obvious good choice. So yeah. if not, maybe that's that's a sign to just wait on that a little bit longer. Exactly. It's not a position that I think will fall apart as a team if we don't fill. Yeah, I, I think some people would argue that Leno is peaked, but I, I've yet to decide on that. We'll have to wait and see. Sure, he's peaked. I don't. I, that's fine. But I don't. Again, like we just we 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 can't fill every position with world class quality right now. We can't no. buy everything, so we have to prioritize. And Leno is yep. good enough. Like he's, he's yeah, he's fine. He's he does his thing. All right. Last question before we wrap things up here from Charles Allison. We've got, uh, let's see. Oh, there we go. How much of a failure is it that we are coming off the back of two eighth place finishes and our team for the first day of the Premier League season will have only one new face in it? At this point, I'm definitely looking over our shoulder at the likes of Villa, Leeds, etc., more than overtaking anyone. So how, how do you feel if we started the the league today? I mean, we're only, only 10 days away, but assuming we don't make any signings in those 10 days, uh, are you feeling underwhelmed as well about the team we have? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you, you can't look at the last five seasons and feel like we've, we've uh, improved or gone well. I, I, I think... I mean, it's 100% true, and I was saying this last year, that I, you know, I'm looking back more than I'm looking ahead as far as uh, overtaking. And I think we're reaping the, the, the consequences of things that happened years ago from, you know, maybe holding on to uh, Arsene Wenger too long, to hiring the wrong replacement for Arsene Wenger, to front office mistakes, to... Last, uh, what I, I, it's funny because, uh, Tim mentioned this window being a little bit of a, a disappointment. I really feel we should have been doing what we did this window last transfer window last summer when we, instead of paying all this money for the, uh, Williams and these, uh, veterans trying to go for that, uh, you know, one shot, we should have been getting these younger players that hopefully then this year would be, you know, popping off. I think the issue right now is we've got a lot of younger players that I think are going to be great in two, three years, but I don't think we have two, three years, you know? So yeah, it, it's hard because, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Arteta. There, the, there's a lot of pressure on Arsenal that eighth place isn't good enough. And if we get another eighth place, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult to kind of start digging ourselves out of the hole. We're already in that position where we're, we're in, we're behind the the eight ball, so. But it, it's it's not this window, and it's not necessarily the decisions that are being made now. It's the decisions that were made three years ago, four years ago, that uh, are really coming home to roost right now. Yeah, I will say though, if 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 it does not pan out with Arteta, at least the decisions and the team that we have now looks much better placed to 
grow in the future under a different manager. Like the pieces that are available, I think have a lot more potential than where we were at in the last couple seasons. Um, with the aging players that we've had, I think there's a couple of positions that definitely need some, uh, attention. I think the, the striker positions need, needs to be better set up for the future. There's a couple prospects, but, um, I would try to bolster that. And I, I think if they, are able to bring in a striker and a attacking midfielder that really sets us up for success, whether it's under Arteta or somebody else. So I think the decision-making is much better, but I, I think you're right. It is uh, a season or two late, but better late than never, I guess. Yeah. But it, it just, it, it frustrates me. And I get it that like maybe these players weren't available last year, but could you imagine us coming in to this year with Lukonga, White, some of these players with a year under their belt and mm-hmm. how much of a better position we would have been in as opposed to the Williams, the uh, Louises, and other players that maybe, I don't know, have uh, let us down. How much How much do you think Smith, Rowe, and uh, Saka how much of a role do you think they had in changing the strategy? Like, do you think their success opened the eyes of people in the front office and said, Hey, maybe we, we need to change the way we're building our team and and take a chance on these guys and players like them. I mean, I, I, I think those two players, it's a great way to put it. I think they had a, a huge role in at least making the hierarchy go, Hey, we can trust these youth players much more than we have to find these wily veterans to, uh, to take us through. Mm-hmm. I think it may be a, been a learning experience for a do because <laughs> he's still learning his job. Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean, I, th- I think having them come through and also it means that there's, two less positions that we have to worry about for getting the transfers in as well. Yeah. I got to think that Murdersackers had a, a, a role in that in making the case behind the scenes that this is that pipeline from, from the youth youth teams to the first team is something that's worth investing in and something we should put our faith into. Uh, we've seen beyond the, Saka and Smith Rowe signings, you know, a steady flow of professional contracts offered to young players that are just ready to to break through. And while it's unfortunate that we can't give them as many minutes as we would have in previous seasons, uh, I do find that uh, it makes me optimistic because I feel like that is a a model that really works well with what the Cronkies have said that they want to do in, in their su- sustainability model. You know, it's like, it's free money. It's transfers you don't have to make um, if you can find success within your own system. So it'll be interesting to see Aziz and Okongo and Kiddo Taylor Hart and some of these other players that have, that have made professional, have gotten professional contracts, you know, if they go out on loan or are able to make their way into the first team, I think that speaks well to um, the setup that Arsenal has and, and will appeal to young players from other teams to make their way uh, to, 
to Arsenal. Um, it looked like they're, they have also signed another promising young striker from the Fulham system who came over to Arsenal because he saw the potential there to, to break through to the first team. So I think that's, that's positive and that there's a clear path to success through Arsenal. Um, whether that's true always or just right now, you know, it kind of makes you wonder if it's going to be um, something that outlasts the, like, will it go beyond us making the Champions League again? Because I feel like once you kind of get to that level, then your player quality steps up a bit and you may have less uh, space for uh, young up and coming players, but it also opens up a lot more opportunities as far as the amount of games played. So yeah, and uh, we'll see if that's if it's a long term plan or if it's just kind of this is what we have available to us right now, so we're going to use it until we get to that next tier. But uh, you know, I think that uh, that that thread of the uh, youth and promoting from it within in Arsenal has been around for a while. The young guns. Mm-hmm cut their teeth on uh the champions league run that we made to the final that's uh mm-hmm. that is a uh, you know what arsenal was known for was that we were playing some of these young players in meaningful champions league games and you know chesk fabregas these, these these players got time very young in meaningful games so i think in a way that may be part of our con- continuity there we go. I went out of my mouth. Continuity from uh, <laughs> the older Arsene Wenger years to now is that a uh, pathway to the youth and, you know, these younger players and even just Balogun, who is uh, hopefully going to be that bridge in the striker position. You know, there, there, there's a lot of promise in that way. And in that sense. Yeah. I, I think if, if you continue to find, the 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 Sokka's out there, the Smith Rose, the the diamonds in the rough. Um, even if they can't all find success with Arsenal, they're develop you're developing assets that can be sold on. And a lot of these guys are English players, so you're you've got a built-in um, you know boost to their value. So I see that being a long-term strategy. I think Mertesacker is definitely making that case. And as long as the, uh, you know, the U23s continue to have success and develop rising stars, I think Arsenal is going to continue to try to get them in, whether it's via loan or through the first team, um, try to, to develop the next generation of stars because at the moment without champions league, without European football, that is our best, best path forward. And I think as an overall strategy to bring in a lot of young players in the uh, current transfer window to really try to develop around a a younger core, I I think it could only, only be a positive thing. I, I think we'll, definitely have growing pains with lack of experience, but those there's also a lot of impressionable uh, minds to be molded by Arteta. So I think that it could benefit him as well. And hopefully he is able to get the best out of them and uh, develop as a coach, um, you know, around these young guys. So he has, he has as much to gain from it as they do. All right. I think I think I've said enough for this week. 
<laughs> it's been a longer than usual podcast. I think we're uh, we're excited about getting back to the season. I really am. I'm I'm very excited to get to some meaningful games. We do have one more preseason friendly le- left here, and that's the uh, the dreaded Tottenham game to kick things off. What are the chances that Kane shows up for that game? <laughs> Would it be amazing as if he showed up and got injured? <laughs> Not that I wish injury that would me, be great, but it'd be funny from a uh, outside perspective. I actually sure. don't wish injury on anybody, including Kane. No, but if he's if he's doing one of his uh, undercut fouls and happens to get injured <laughs> while doing so, yeah. I would say good riddance. That'd be it'd be funny. well we'll see how that turns out this weekend uh and come back to you next week with hopefully some more transfer news and uh a good idea of what this team's gonna look like going into the first game of the season against brentford so we'll we'll, uh talk more about that next week but for now thank you for listening and joining us this this episode If you have not subscribed, go ahead and do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. Wherever you listen to are listening to us right now, just go hit that subscribe button. And uh, that would be a huge help. And if you have done that, go ahead and leave a review. We'd love to hear how you like us. And so would other people who haven't listened to us yet. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. We are at W of N London. Uh, Love to get your questions on there for our next episode. If you like our faces we have not been on uh well we try to be uh on youtube with video as much as possible but if not you can definitely go listen to us there every week uh if that's your jam and subscribe to our videos there like them if you can that would be a huge help there as well if you want to send us questions another way west of north london at gmail.com is another way you can do that or if you want to send us a voicemail, anchor.fm slash London slash message. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail and we'll put you on our next episode. If you like our theme song, Bobcat's the name of the band. Their website is bobc.at. You can check out their latest album, No Course to Follow. And if you want to catch up with them and see when they're going to be playing their next live show, that would be the place to go. Uh, I believe we've we've hit all our marks for the week. We can wrap it up. So as always, see you at the next gun show. <laughs>